I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis. Uh, we are going to pick up where we left off from last week in, in chapter 1. Um, and uh, today we'll be in uh, verses 3 to 31. Uh, as you guys probably know, Mallory and I now have a Prius. Uh, it's a really great car. Highly recommend. 48 NPGs. It's awesome. Uh, but it's not your average car. And it takes some learning. Uh, and uh, one thing that we had to learn about the Prius was whether it was actually on or off. Uh, it took us a little while, but you'd be surprised at how long it took for us to realize whether it was on or off because it's so quiet. So one of the first times we took it out, took it out to a restaurant, I pull into a, a parking spot, I turn it off, and we get out the car, and when we shut our doors, it starts beeping at us. Okay, uh, and so I open the door again and, and try to lock it, and it won't lock. And it keeps beeping at us. Well, it's off. Like I don't, I don't know what's going on. So like I guess we'll just have to figure it out later. So we shut the doors, beeps at us. We go inside, and and I'm just sitting there. She, the, we're waiting on the hostess, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I just I can't leave it unlocked. So I go out to try to figure out what's happening again. And it wasn't actually off. It was on this whole time. So someone can just hop in there and drive it off if they want to. So finally figure it out. We turn it off. All right. Cool. Figured that part out. Now it's funny because uh, we've seen TV shows kind of talk about and, and poke fun at how quiet the Prius is. In fact, one of our favorite shows, there's this episode where uh, these two guys are in a rivalry and... Uh, while one guy is distracted, this other guy pulls up behind him in his Prius in a kind of sneak attack. But he can't hear him because it's so quiet. Uh, and it works, right? He sneaks up behind him and like pins him against the wall with his Prius. It's funny. It's not, it's whatever. But, and I thought that was a little far-fetched. I was like, huh, that's funny. I was just like, alright, that's something. Uh, that was until on our home one day, uh, and we turn on our street. And we have a few elderly neighbors that live on our street. And there was this one couple that was walking out of the street. But instead of being on the left side of the road or on the right side of the road, they were walking down the middle. And they were just holding hands on a leisurely stroll. That's, that's fine. But when you're in a Prius and you're behind a couple like that, who's apparently hard of hearing, you're stuck behind them. They didn't hear us behind them at all. And so this whole way down our street, probably like for like five minutes, we're behind this couple and they have no idea that there's a car like 10 feet behind them. And of course, I didn't want to honk at them or else I'd give them a heart attack. There are so many ways that you can descri- describe creation, but quiet isn't one of them. Uh, I don't mean that you can't find quiet places. And, and these days I value quiet places because quiet places are in short order in our household right now. No, no, what I mean by that creation isn't quiet is that creation speaks. Creation is loud. It, it speaks constantly and it speaks universally. Everybody hears it. Everybody understands it. Because of sin, we distort its meaning, but creation still speaks and it speaks clearly and it speaks loudly. In this first chapter of Genesis shows us why. Why is creation speaking? 
What is creation saying? What is it trying to show us? So let's read and learn about what creation is saying from the God who speaks. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry we don't have it on the slides today. You can read along in your Bibles or follow along with your ears. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Now you may have noticed uh, right there that I stopped short of going all the way to the seventh day, which goes into chapter 2. Now as often as I forget which day of the week it is, I know that there are seven days and that there are seven days of creation. What I'm going to do is I'm looking at the six days of creation as a whole. Then next week, uh, Lord willing, uh, I'm going to zoom in on the creation of male and female and the image of God. And then the week after that, we're going to look at the seventh day by itself. So that's kind of uh, what we're looking at. And, and, and I wish today that I had time for a few things that we don't. The first thing that I wish we had time for was talking about the age of creation, right? Um, I, I, God created the universe, right? He creates man, not as a baby, but as a man. He creates trees that are already hundreds of years old, right? So, so right, how old is creation, right? I think God created all things to be very old at the start. Uh, or, or you could talk about the days in creation, right? Is it six literal days or seven literal days? Is, is it, does a day mean a long, long, long time that God created all things? I don't have time to get into all of that kind of stuff, and all that stuff is great. But faithful Christians disagree on them. And here's the important points, right? That this actually happened. That God created all things, specifically created man and woman, so we uh, are arguing against evolution of man and woman here, and that God's word is authoritative. Right, Moses, as he's writing this, right, we believe Moses wrote Genesis, is saying, yes, those are all great questions to ask, but let's not miss the forest for the trees. I want you to look for the, the deeper meaning of what I'm writing about here. All right? So that's some prelim- preliminary stuff, but the first thing that we learn is that God created to subdue. That's our first point. God created to subdue. We see this on the first day of creation. Look at, look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The first reality to be created in creation is light. Now, what we saw last week is actually really important. Alright, look back in verse 2. We read uh, last week that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Those words, right, form, uh, or without form, and void and darkness represent some kind of gloom that needed to be remedied. It foreshadows the darkness that will come later in Genesis. But the point is, they need to be corrected. They need to be remedied, which is exactly why God's first act is to create light. God is subduing that darkness by creating light. And He's dispelling the darkness. God never calls the darkness good. He calls the light good. So that first act of subduing is is to show us, the first act of creating light is to show us that God is subduing. He's subduing that darkness that was there. And actually, the rest of the six days of creation show the same thing. In fact, these six days of creation can be divided. Right? What does God do on the first three days? He separates, doesn't He? The first day, He separates light from darkness. The second day, He separates waters from the heavens. 
The third day, he separates the waters from the land. And this act of, of separating is making, uh, this. I'm sorry, the act of separating is subduing. God is subduing the darkness and the formlessness and the chaotic waters that we saw in verse 2. It's like when you clean your house, uh, especially like uh, spring cleaning, like this ugly dress that I got from my sister, or my stepsister Laura, that's going to go in the giveaway pile. And my uh, Missouri State shirt can go in the stay pile. Right? This act of separating, you're subduing the mess of your house. Aren't you? And it's only after this act of separating that God populates the cosmos with, with fullness. Vegetation and stars, sun and moon, fish and birds, and finally animals and humans. So all of this is to show that God is in, not just in the act of creating, but He's creating in order to subdue. Again, we don't know everything we want to know about this darkness that was present. Or about the chaos. But we know that God is subduing and He does it by separating. And He doesn't just subdue by separating, making a division. He also subdues by naming. Now remember, we went through the book of Proverbs. You guys remember that? seems like a long time ago that we were in Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is in many ways the ability, ability to name things. The ability to name and say, this is good, this is bad. This is the way that leads to flourishing. This is the way that will lead to death. The act of naming those realities is a way of bringing them under control. God does this act of naming here. I mean, in verse 8, when God separates the waters, what does He do? He called the expanse heaven. He's naming the creation. Or verse 10, God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, He called seas. He's subduing them, bringing them under control by naming them. And remember, what is, what is the first task that He gives Adam? He brings the animals to him to name them. That's what does God create man and woman in his image for? Look at verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Think about this. The sovereign creator of the universe, who has no need of our help at all, entrusts the rule of his creation to humans. All this subduing that he's been doing in these first six days has been pointing toward and sets the pattern for humans. God never intended to create and subdue apart from his creatures doing it. And that's astonishing. He creates for the purpose of making image bearers who will share dominion so that all things might be brought under the sway of His great glory. I love it when it snows. Absolutely love it. And I'm from Mississippi, so I didn't get a lot of snow. So 
kind of makes sense why I like snow. Some of you guys are like, I hate snow. I want to live in Mississippi. Well, let me tell you, you don't. Maybe try Texas. I wouldn't recommend Louisiana. Clay, that's why, that's why you live in Missouri, right? But anyway, I love snow. And one reason I love snow is snow blankets everything, doesn't it? And so you can see, when you look into the tree, you can see every branch and every limb. It gives life to this deadness. Winter's otherwise kind of ugly, it, but once snow covers it all, it just like gives this great life to everything. God wants His glory to blanket everything by subduing everything. He's not a passive God. God is a subduing God. He will not allow a leaf to blow apart from His sovereign rule. And He will not allow His creation to be marred. Which brings us to our next point. God creates for display. He creates for display. We see this um, theme display in a number of places, but especially what is repeated almost every day. What does it say? God created and He saw that it was good. Now, I don't mean like when you eat chilies, not chili, chilies, the restaurant, and someone asks you, how's your food? That's good. I used to love chilies when I was in college. Like, when you're college age, lots of food tastes good, that when you're older, you're just kind of like, it's really not, that's, that's okay, like, it's just fine now, right? I we ate at Chili's like a few months ago and I was really excited about it because I was like, I used to love Chili's. It's not that great. I'm sorry if you love Chili's and I'm sorry if you love egg salad, potato salad, that kind of stuff. But no, I don't mean that kind of good. No, this is a, a satisfying, pleasant good. The kind of good when you wake up and you can look over a field and see a sunrise and your lungs fill with fresh morning air. It's the kind of good when you can stand outside and just watch snow quietly blanket the earth. The kind of good closing your eyes and listening to waves crash against the beach. The kind of good the way a dog greets you when you get home. Or bacon hitting the pan and sizzling. Or making your children or grandchildren laugh. It's, it's that kind of good. A very satisfying and pleasant good. God separates the earth and seas and saw that it was good. God fills the land with vegetation and saw that it was good. He fills the heavens with stars and saw that it was good. He fills the sea and the skies with fish and birds and saw that it was good. He creates animals and beasts and God saw that it was good. And He creates man and woman in His image and He saw that it was very good. And this is actually a really important point because all ancient cultures and and even like uh, cultures today uh, worship the creation to extract goodness from it. So, so when ancient cultures worshipped Baal, they needed him to fertilize the earth for vegetation, 
right? That's why, like, send rain, send, you know, harvest. Like, we need food to survive. And so they're asking him to fertilize the earth. But God fertilizes and God plants because he's good. When ancient cultures worship the stars and the sun and the moon, they seek their fortune and their blessing. But God placed them there to point to his abundant goodness. The pagans worship great sea creatures and great sea monsters, but God made them because He is good. Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. Why is the sun like a bridegroom? Why is the sun like a champion in a race? Well, For the bridegroom, it's the wedding day is the happiest day of his life. And a champion is most fulfilled when he's racing and he's running. The sun is an echo of the joy that God has for His creation. Every day the sun comes out and it's as if it's a a bridegroom coming out ready to get married. G.K. Chesterton, he described the attitude of creation well. Children always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that creation, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Creation wasn't meant to be worshipped. Creation was meant to be a display of His awesome creativity. God is a creative God. It's meant to display His awesome power. His awesome beauty. His awesome glory and His awesome goodness. It's like, you know, have you seen those new Wendy's commercials? And their whole thing is like hot and crispy fries, right? And you know, you know when you get Wendy's fries, oh yeah, these are Wendy's fries. Or McDonald's. You know, oh, these are McDonald's fries. It's the same with creation. We're meant to look at creation and say, oh yes, this is God's work. We look at the way there's this delicate and in, like intricate balance in creation. Where, where coral reefs thrive when, when fish are, are populating them and, and these fish need sharks to help keep the, the coral reefs strong and resilient. 
We're supposed to look at that and say, yes, this is, this is God's. That's God's work. He created all of this so that we can know Him and worship Him. Which leads to our last point. God creates by His Word. God doesn't create out of a gigantic struggle with another God. You remember last week, we talked about that creation story. He, he doesn't create out of some supreme effort. God creates by speaking. This is probably the best known part of the creation account. God said, and there was. God said, let there be, and it was so. God spoke and created all the realities that we know. He spoke light into being. He spoke land and seas into being. He spoke space and time into being. He spoke mathematics and physics and quantum mechanics into being in an instant. It's taken us thousands of years to get where we are in our understanding of physics, and we still haven't even broached the depth of it, and God spoke it into existence in an instant. He spoke days and years and seasons and the rotation of planets into being. And their degrees and how many moons each planet has. And God didn't just create all realities, but He fills them. What does God do? God separates the land from the seas and what does He He fills them with vegetation. Vegetation. Trees and shrubs and grass. God spoke and instantly fills the vast expanse of the universe with stars and planets and comets and nebula. God spoke and instantly filled the skies with egos and eagles and sparrows and geese. Instantly, geese are flying in V formations. God spoke and instantly fills the sea with fish and corals and manta rays and jellyfish. What even are jellyfish? Every time I go to the aquarium, I, don't, I still don't know what they are. They're just things that float around. But God just spoke them into existence and instantly. God spoke and He instantly filled the land with lions and elephants, sheep, cattle. And this is so important because in ancient cultures and in cultures today, the gods were worshipped to bring life and fertility to creation. Right? I I mentioned this, but the reason Israel so famously worshipped Baal all the time was because he was the god of rain and fertility and crops. But life isn't something that we can conjure up. Life is not something that we produce. Life is produced by the Word of God. Alan Ross said, fertility is a self-perpetuating process decreed by God. A created capacity from the true Lord of life. It results from the majestic word of the sovereign Lord of creation. So in other words, the reason that that fertility is self-perpetuating, right? the reason that even though our world might be chaotic, but fall comes every year and winter comes and then spring and rains. The reason that happens all the time is because God's Word is self-perpetuating. All life that you see is derived life. 
All life is borrowed. It is God's Word that gives all things its life. There was this um, phenomenon that happened in South America where uh, this, this part of this coast was overfished for a long time. And, and it used to be populated not only with fish, but all these birds you know, would nest there. Millions of birds would nest there. But because they overfished, the birds just stopped coming. But have you ever heard that expression, life finds a way? Well, they protected this area and um, fish came back. And then, what do you know, the birds came back. And the reason all of that is happening is not simply because life finds a way, but because God's Word is life and He spoke that life into being. Life finds a way because God's Word finds a way. This is the reason creation is still speaking. Even though God spoke once in the beginning, His Word still continues to energize and sustain all of creation. He spoke and creation still speaks because His Word is an eternal power of energetic life. This, this means that God's Word can't help but produce life. When God speaks, something happens. So listen, this is awesome because it's no coincidence that the words God said occur ten times in this chapter. Why is that important? Because when God creates a nation of Israel, He does so with ten words. The Ten Commandments. And it's the living Word, Jesus Christ, that creates the new people of God in the church. So it is God's Word that creates and energizes the universe from the beginning until now. And it is God's Word that creates and energizes His people from the beginning until now. All things, creation and people, are energized and given life by God's Word. But there's tension here. Because even though God created to subdue, we don't see that as we ought. We don't see His image bearers subduing creation. Instead, we see creation subduing His image bearers. It revolts against us and works against us because we're subdued by sin. Even though God created for display, the ones created to see that very display don't see it. Instead, we take what ought to point to God's glory and give glory to another thing instead. We look out at creation and say, this is all about us and not about the one who made it. Even though God created by His Word, it doesn't bring us life as we ought, as it ought. Roman Paul said in Romans 7 that the very commandment, the very word that was intended to bring life actually brought death. How is that possible? Because of our sin, we take God's word and with it produce death. How exceedingly sinful and wretched that we can take the most energetic life in the universe and only bring about death by it. 
How evil. How wretched. Guys, we need a solution. We need someone who is not subdued by creation, but instead subdues it with authority and power. We need someone who is not subdued by sin, but instead subdues it. We need someone who does not worship what is created, but glorifies the God that creation displays. We need someone who can actually obey God's Word. And we, can, we need someone who can actually make this Word mean life for us. Jesus Christ, the God-man. He subdued creation by calming storms and casting out demons. He subdued sin by resisting temptation in the wilderness and dying with it on the cross. He is the only one who has ever lived and saw God's glory and creation and knew its meaning. He is the one for whom that display of creation points. When the Magi saw Jesus' star in the heavens, they were doing exactly what the heavens were intended to do. Point them to Jesus. This Jesus is the Word of God who brings life to all. Friends, creation is about Jesus. Creation points us to Jesus. Life doesn't come from believing facts about God. Life doesn't come from believing the world was created in six days. Life doesn't come from living a certain way. Life comes from believing in Christ. You're dead in your sin. You can't produce life. You'll never be able to. But Jesus is life. And He is the purpose of the six days of creation. He's the purpose of everything that we see. The snow that's out there that's so beautiful, that's meant to point you to Jesus. Believe in His name today and you will have life. Do you honestly, truly believe in this Lord of life? Creation is not quiet. It's loud and it speaks. It points us to Jesus. Don't reject Him, but run to Him. Let's pray. Father God, in our sin-sick hearts, we can look out at creation and instead of seeing the ultimate reality behind it, which is You, we make creation ultimate. We make stars and moons ultimate and worship those. We make the comforts and pleasures of this creation ultimate. We make things and materials ultimate. We make our, ourselves ultimate. And God, 
You must subdue sin and darkness. You can't help but subdue that which is against you and that which opposes you and that which mars your creation. And God, we are part of that problem. And if you're to subdue our sin, God, you must judge us and judge us righteously. But God, you provide the resolution and the solution that we need. That either our, our sin will be subdued in hell forever or it has been subdued by Christ. God, thank you for doing what we could never do in ourselves. And we ask you, give us life in Christ. Forgive us for the death that we produce. And give us life in your son, Jesus. Today, give us life in Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.